welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. This week, we continue our series in Nehemiah. In this message, I talk about how Nehemiah was in the right place at the right time, how he used his position as the king's cupbearer to accomplish the call God had placed on his life. I talk about how his position would be the catalyst for him to then rebuild places in Jerusalem that would one day be historic in the life of Jesus. In this message, you'll be encouraged to contemplate your position as you think about your relationship with your church and how you might use that influence and access to be a servant of Jesus. So be encouraged. You are in the right place at the right time. Refuge is a safe place. I don't think it's working. Yeah, it is working. Is it working? I forgot what we're supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Refuge is a safe place. Hold on, stop. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Where do I look? Eyes. Is it okay if I yeah, look there? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Explore. Explore. Their faith in Jesus. Mouth it. Okay. Go. Refuge is a safe place for people to... No. Mm-mm. That's not it. You ready? <laughs> Safe place is a... (laughs) (laughs) Refuge is a safe place for all people. Refuge is a safe place for all people. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore. Why can't I All people. To restore and explore their faith in Jesus and his church. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus. And his church. Huh? And his church. And his church. There we go. This is good. Okay. All right. Action. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. I didn't change the video this week. And so like it went from like, yes, Jesus, to me being a fool on screen. So that's a little bit uh, insight into me as a person. And I am Nicole. Um, and uh, if you don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Refuge. And um, if for those of you who do know me, and if you've learned anything about me in the short time that you've gotten to know me, you know, um, you probably know, have learned that I am a Red Sox fan. Lose or lose or keep on losing. (laughs) I am a fan and they're losing a lot right now. If you follow baseball, you get why it's funny. Well, it's not funny because it's sad. But I love them so much. My dog's name is Fenway. And one of my favorite experiences... um, that I've got to experience has been uh, my very first trip to Boston um, to see them play. Um, I got to go watch the Red Sox play in that um, iconic historical Fenway Park, but I also got to experience the city of Boston. And there's so much history, there's so much there's so much uh, to explore and experience there. We went to uh, the Cheers Bar, just all sorts of fun stuff in Boston. And we got to take a tour of Fenway Park and we walked through some of, uh, there's like little museums set up throughout the park and we got to tour some of these and experience some of those historical moments in baseball. And at Fenway Park, there is what's called the Lone Red Seat. And it's a seat in the outfield and a sea of all of these green seats and there's one red seat um, in the outfield and it uh, marks where Ted Williams hit the longest home run Um, in Fenway Park's history in 1946. And it sits right there, and you see all this green and just one little red dot. And it's marking a moment in history. And beyond baseball, Boston is full of history. The Boston Tea Party, the Battle at Bunker Hill. Hill. There's my, (laughs) that's the West Virginian in me. Um, But we, we walked around, we toured battleships, we got to experience 
history. And I, I love doing stuff like that. I don't know if it's, I, I'm a sentimental or I like nostalgia, but I love doing stuff like that. I love going to museums in Washington, D.C., like the Holocaust Museum or the American History Museum and, and standing in places designed to transport you back into moments in history, take you back into the past so you can remember and reminisce and contemplate and learn things about history and about the past. I love standing in a historic spot where something historic and monumental happened and thinking about what the people who uh, stood there thought and what they were going through and what their, where their mind was at. Putting yourself in the shoes, putting myself in the shoes of people in history. Like, I love thinking about the person who caught Ted Williams' home run ball. Like, he didn't know in that moment it was going to be historic, but right there, it was the longest home run in baseball history, or in Fenway's history, and that dude caught it, and who knew that 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, there would be a red seat to mark where he was sitting. For me, that's kind of cool. And when I read Nehemiah, I can't help but get those same feelings, to feel that same sentimentalness and reminiscing when I read about what Nehemiah accomplished and what he went through and how what he was doing set the stage for the coming Messiah. Those places where Nehemiah stood, Jesus would one day stand. The places Nehemiah physically rebuilt so that Jesus could stand there and restore and rebuild Um, the spiritual side and heal people and bring restoration. And while Nehemiah knew that the Messiah would one day come, hundreds of years down the road, the Messiah would come, there's really no way that he could have fathomed what Jesus would actually do. Sure, he knew a Messiah was coming, but he had no idea what Jesus would accomplish. So last week, I left you on a cliffhanger, so we're going to do a recap like any good Netflix show so, and you can't hit skip on this one. So. so when we left Nehemiah, he was not in Jerusalem. He was in a city called Susa. His family and friends came to visit him and bring him bad news. You know how Thanksgiving goes. And then it breaks Nehemiah's heart. He cries and he prays and he mourns the news that he hears. And I want to read a portion of his prayer tonight. This is Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 8. Nehemiah says in prayer, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. That was our cliffhanger. That's where I left you last week. And uh, like any good storyteller, I'm going to continue to build the suspense as to why it's important and not tell you why it's important. Mwahahaha. <laughs> I I was either going to do an evil laugh or just say insert evil laugh. I went with both, apparently. So past, present, and future, these are things that we're talking about in this series. And in verse 8, Nehemiah is referencing a part of the Torah. He's referencing a part of the past, a part of Jerusalem and the children of Israel's history. It was a message from God to Moses And in Deuteronomy 4, I just want to read it quickly for you. And this, for me, I'm sharing this 
It might seem heavy. It might seem too much. But for me, when I, um, when I start, started to study scripture, whether for my degree or what have you, it, it kind of took me by surprise, even though it shouldn't have, is how much these stories are connected. Like, you would think that I would know that growing up in church, but you start to read stuff in Nehemiah, and you're like, oh, that was in Deuteronomy. Or you read stuff in the New Testament, and you go and you find places back to the Old Testament. It's almost like it was designed to be a one big story. And so I'm sharing this tonight. I know, right? Like, this is our pastor? Like, come on. Like... <laughs> But anyways, so that's why I'm sharing this with you tonight is because while we're talking about Nehemiah hundreds of years past Moses, it's important to remember that Israel remembered their past. Israel remembered where they came from. Israel knew scripture and knew history and knew what God wanted. So in Deuteronomy 4, again, this is God speaking to Moses. Today I call on heaven and earth as a witness against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time and then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few of you will survive. There in a foreign land you will worship idols made from wood and stone. Gods that neither hear nor see nor eat nor smell. From, from there, you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. And what did we learn last week? Is that Nehemiah's story is about 150 years after the exile and the destruction of the children of Israel. And like they got warned. Like they're like, if you don't get your ducks in a row, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be scattered. And even with being warned... Like toddlers, they do it anyways. But even in the past, Israel, Israel was unfaithful. And we learned in second, uh, we looked at Second Chronicles 36 last year. They were just last year, oh my goodness, last week that they were scattered. But God is God and God is faithful. His, his, his words weren't just that I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to leave you this way. His words were, but if you seek God, your God, you'll be able to find him. If you're really serious about looking for him with your whole heart and your soul, you will find him. A promise for restoration, a promise for hope, a promise for healing. And it all comes back to worship, seeking God and worshiping God with all of their heart and their soul. That's what we talked about a little bit last week with Ezra reestablishing order to worship, reestablishing the importance of the altar and the temple to worship the one true God. So Nehemiah knows what, what God said to Moses. The destruction was foretold long before it ever happened. And even still, he mourns. He mourns for, mourns for what his people are going through, the destruction they're living in, the pain they're suffering because their city is in shambles. Nehemiah turns to God in prayer and says, Hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today, making me favorable to the king. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Dum, dum, dum. Early, so we're going to jump to Nehemiah 2. Do you guys not like my sound effects or something? 
So we're going to keep pressing forward to Nehemiah 2. And last week I told you we were not going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This week we're going verse by verse. So yay. So Nehemiah 2 verse 1 says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 12th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king wine. I had never before appeared sad in the king's presence. So he asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me, so you must be deeply troubled. He is the king's cupbearer. He is in the right place at the right time. This is our cliffhanger. And it ultimately sets the stage for the rest of Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah being in the right place and the right time, Nehemiah being able to be in the king's presence would be the catalyst for the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. The cupbearer was a trusted and important position in the king's court. A cupbearer was responsible for making sure the king's food and his wine were not poisoned. And this required a high level of trust from the king because you don't want the person who's supposed to be making sure you don't get poisoned, poisoned you. Right place. So Nehemiah responds to the king, noticing that he's deeply troubled, and he says, But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And there's a long, dramatic pause. And the king looks around, looks at Nehemiah, and the, the camera zooms in on the king's furrowed brow, and the king says, Oh, you ruined it, Anna. Well, how can I? (laughs) Well, the king says, (laughs) how can I help you? A big sigh of relief from Nehemiah. And he prayed again before responding to the king. And he says, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me as your servant, will you please send me to Judah so I can rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried? The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Right place, right time. Nehemiah's position as a king cupbearer, like I said, gave a unique opportunity for him to approach the king, to be in the king's presence. Because I don't know if you know a lot about kings. You can't just stroll in and be like, what's up, king? Like some random dude did to me yesterday while I was here all by myself. I don't know how he got in the church, but he just strolled right in and said, hey, what's up? And I was like, Anna, could I get off the phone? <laughs> it gave him access to the king. And he was often granted this access in private moments. But even though he was a king's cupbearer, and even though he could enter into these private intimate moments with the king, speaking to the king out of turn was still very dangerous. We talked about this a little bit last year now with Esther, is that even though they could be in front of the king, coming to the king was dangerous. And so Nehemiah spoke up at a great personal risk. A risk that could have cost him his life. But he was in the right place and the right time. And the timing was right for Nehemiah to not only gain access, but to have influence with the king. Because he had a trusted relationship. Because the king knew him so well, knew him well enough to know that he was deeply troubled. The king gave him what he was asking for. 
And Nehemiah needed more than just some extended PTO. He needed supplies and protection. Verse 7 says, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter to the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams and gates for the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And again, the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So Nehemiah gets his vacation time. He gets his time off. He gets to travel. But he also gets extra resources and the power to go along with it. The king gave him everything he asked for because he was in the right place at the right time. The rest of chapter 2 is Nehemiah's account. He gets to Jerusalem and it's his account of walking through the wreckage of, of the city where his ancestors are from and buried and had lived. And I don't know about you guys this week, but this week served as a reminder for how fortunate a lot of us have been in the last year. Not all of us have been as fortunate as others, but I, Tuesday and Wednesday, I was watching radar and hurricane apps and weather alerts, just keeping an eye on it, just nervous as, as nervous could be, remembering what we went through last year after Ian, during Ian, and after Ian. And as I read chapter 2 this week and preparing for this message, I could quite literally put myself in the shoes of Nehemiah, stepping over and walking through obliterated memories, people's homes, people's lives, seeing my hometown washed away and destroyed, watching, watching this year as another hurricane went up the coast, how even still we are vulnerable, how even still the protection we once had is not there. And Nehemiah writes about walking through some of the most prominent areas of Jerusalem, places he's probably heard about from stories from his parents or his grandparents of the life and the vitality that used to live in the city, but it's now just a pile of bricks and mortar and memories. The past, the present, and the future. And this is Nehemiah's present. Facing the destruction head on and saying, the God of heaven will help me succeed. And this is important because of Jerusalem's future. And it may not seem like it, and it may not not feel like it, but we all have influence and access. Refuge just recently celebrated seven years in ministry And I have only been attending Refuge since January of 2022. Not quite two years, not quite a year and a half, but January 2022 happened to be the right place and the right time for me. I shared a little bit about that last week, but I heard the vision, I caught the vision, and I stepped into what God had called me to do. Some of the founding members I have never met, people who used to attend here who are responsible for this church existing, I've never gotten to meet face to face. I only know them by name. And if they were here tonight, I couldn't pick them out to you. 
And I've heard wonderful things about the men and women of God who have come before me to establish this beautiful church. People that stood in this room, they gave time, they gave money, they gave their passion, their resources to build a place like refuge so that six years later, a very weary, exhausted, jaded, indifferent, angry person who didn't want to ever be in ministry again could walk in and find the refuge that I needed to be reminded of who I am, to be reminded of what God has done in me and for me, to be reminded of what I'm supposed to do for the kingdom, to help people find hope and healing and restoration and purpose like I did a year and a half ago. Then we get to Nehemiah 3 verse 1. And of course, I don't know how to say these names. Then Eliashib, the high priest and other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors. The sheep gate is the first part of the wall, first part of the city in Nehemiah chapter 3 that's mentioned to start rebuilding. If you are on our Facebook group or you receive the emails, we send out homework to read chapter two and chapter three was the homework this week. And if you did read chapter three, it's a little redundant and mundane because it's just like this person helped this person build this part of the wall and this is why they're important. And then this person helped this person build this part of the wall and just so on and so forth. About 30 verses of all the people who chipped in to be a part of the rebuilding of the wall in the city. But the sheep gate is the first to be mentioned. And it, may not, and it may sound insignificant because what is a sheep? It's not a very important animal. But there is great significance to the sheep gate when it comes to the city of Jerusalem. Not only to the present, Nehemiah's present, but also to what would be Jerusalem's future. The sheep gate was named because it was used to bring sheep into the city. Clever, right? Like these people with their hard names, just sheep gate. Methuselah is like sheep gate. Anyways. But it wasn't just about herding sheep. It wasn't just about getting sheep into the city. But it was also more about worship. This is where the sacrifices were brought into the city. It was close, almost connected to the temple. The temple that Ezra had rebuilt and reestablished the altar and the temple there for worship again. And so the sheep gate gave direct access to the temple and to this altar to allow worshipers to access the temple, to access the altar for their sacrifices and their rituals and their religious practices. While now sacrifices are no longer necessary because of what Jesus did on the cross, this is how these sacrifices of sheep, of lamb, is how people in Jerusalem would repair and restore their relationship with God. This is how they would seek forgiveness. This is how they were able to atone for their sins, to bring sheep in through the sheep gate to the temple to worship God. So repairing the sheep gate was vital to restoring the heart of worship to the city. And that is what Nehemiah is doing in Nehemiah's present. But the sheep gate also bears some significance for Jerusalem's future. So we're going to jump to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It said, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, 
was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, would lay on these porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a very long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool where, when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. I keep saying the right place at the right time. And you're probably asking yourself, what does that mean for me right now? And just like Nehemiah was in the right place at the right time, I believe that we have all been positioned right where we are for such a time as this, at the right place at the right time. Whether it be here in this church or it be in your position at your job or in your family as parents, whatever the case might be, I believe we are all in the right place at the right time. I don't believe it's a coincidence that you're here tonight. I don't believe it's a coincidence that you call refuge your home. I don't believe it's a coincidence that you are where you are. To hear the vision, to catch the vision, and to work for the future. Here's the thing about Nehemiah's story is that if he hadn't been where he was as the king's cupbearer, he wouldn't have had protection. He wouldn't have had supplies. He wouldn't have had support. Because, but because of he, what he was where he was, he had what he needed to do what God had purposed him to do. And that is to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. I imagine Nehemiah overseeing the construction of the sheep gate. Knowing it's important so that they could get sacrifices and knowing it's important so that they could continue to worship and honor God and atone for their sins and seek forgiveness and restoration with God. Watching men work to rebuild one of the key elements of this, uh, the foundation of this worship. Just standing there watching it get built, not knowing what was to come. Just like seven years ago when dedicated men and women of God set out to build something different, a church of misfits, a messy church, a small church, a deep church, a church for everyone where everyone is safe with no idea that their, what their obedience would mean, no idea how far their gifts, their talents, their times, their dreams, and their resources would reach. And I'm sure if we had an open mic night, which we kind of did at the beginning of the service, but if we had an open mic night, I'm sure you would hear story after story after story of the hope and the restoration and the lives that Refuge has changed since it's opened its doors. So I imagine Jesus standing where Nehemiah stood, thinking about Nehemiah thinking about what Nehemiah did and how he did it. Nehemiah's heart, Nehemiah's dream, Nehemiah's faithfulness. And had it not been for Nehemiah, maybe that paralyzed man that Jesus healed might not have been there. But because Nehemiah was not only in the right place at the right time, he was obedient to God faithful to God and he put his faith into action and he helped make a way for the Messiah to come and to bring life and to work miracles in Jerusalem and to bring restoration and healing and hope to all of the world. 
He healed a man who was paralyzed, who got up and walked and immediately started telling people what Jesus had done. We have position and access to the king, the king of healing, the king of restoration. And he's calling us to do something with our influence, our talents, our gifts, our time, our resources, right now in the present for the future. So that when the future ministry team of refuge looks back to 2023, they remember all that we did so that God's love and healing and God's ministry didn't stop with us. Just like Nehemiah made a way for the Messiah to work, are we using our access to the king? Are we using our influence and our circles? Are we stepping out into what God has called us to do? Are we putting our faith into action to make sure that refuge has a future, to make sure that our families have a future, to make sure that God's work doesn't stop right here, right now, but it continues on. Over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss exactly what our church needs, where we're doing things and we are doing them excellent, and some areas that need some TLC and some rebuilding and restructuring. And now it's very easy for you to sit there and say, this isn't for me. I'm not called to ministry. I'm not really sure if refuge is my home church. And you can take what's good from my message because there is a lot of good in my message. And you can leave the hard stuff. And it's easy to walk away and ignore a call to put your faith into action. And personally, presenting a call to action or preaching messages like this. I don't really like it and it's hard for me because I've been in ministry situations where guilt was used as the main motivator versus love and kindness and grace. But I'm asking you to have an open heart and an open mind as we start to wrap up our service. I'm going to ask the band to make their way up here. We spend a time in worship and reflection and meditation so as we do that, I just ask you to evaluate your relationship between you and your church. Where, how, when can God use me? And I prepared this whole message and I typed out all 10 pages of it and I was ready to go. But I almost missed a part of Nehemiah's prayer right before he went to the king. He said, the people you have rescued, the people you have saved, the people who are still there by your great power are your servants. We who have been rescued are his servants. We who have been restored are his servants. We who have been reconciled to Christ are his servants. We who belong to Jesus are his servants. And those of us like Nehemiah, who are in the right place at the right time, are his servants. Nehemiah felt deep pain and compassion for his people, and it moved him to action. His heart was broken for the fact that he had people and family that he was connected to, living in a city that was without walls, that was without protection. And it moved him into action. He mourned and he cried and he prayed. And he used his position as the king's cupbearer. He was brave. He got what he needed. But beyond that, Nehemiah was obedient. 
And if Nehemiah hadn't been obedient, what would have come of the sheep gate? If Nehemiah hadn't stepped out, what would have happened to the sheep gate? Now, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm so significant that God's plan isn't going to happen if I'm not involved. But how cool is it that Nehemiah gets to be a part of Jesus' story? How cool is it that we get to be a part of Jesus' story? How cool is it that a lot of people up on this platform and the pastors of this church get to be a part of my story because they were obedient, they put their faith into action, and they created a safe place for me to minister? And right now, we could be standing in a historical place where someone once dreamed of refuge being a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I am where I am, to build and establish the sheep gates and places where people can encounter the life-changing, the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand and worship with us and allow God to speak to your heart and work in your life as we, as we contemplate and meditate on this call to action. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Don't miss next week as Brian dives into the importance of Nehemiah's prayers. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet every Saturday night at 530 at 1901 Brantley Road, Fort Myers. Or you can always live stream us on Facebook at Refuge Church Fort Myers. You can also find us on Instagram at refuge.church. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.